What's up, Agents for Life? I'm super excited to be here. Welcome to podcast 221. I'm glad you're here. We're going to learn a little bit. We're going to do some product knowledge this week. But first, quick uh, housekeeping items. Number one, hope you're planning on being there with us at the National Convention. You've heard me talk about this. I don't want to go into it too much more right now. You know what it is. Reach out if you don't, but uh, Florida next month. Want everybody there if you can. Okay, quick mic drop thought. This mic drop thought of the week comes from my wife who said something really interesting to me. She learned this and she said, an obstacle is just a detour in the right direction. So think about that for a second. An obstacle is just a detour in the right direction. Now, that when I first heard it, I thought, well, that may not be true because an obstacle might take you in the wrong direction. So we started talking and she said, no, you don't get it. She's like, this is your mindset. This is your thought. You just look at an obstacle as it's a detour in the right direction. It's a way of looking at it. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant, frankly. But how we see things is everything, right? So if you see an obstacle as nothing more than a detour in the right direction, it's going to change everything for you because you still know you're headed in the right direction. You're just taking a little longer. You know, when you're headed home and there's cones and all of a sudden you have to go turn right and you're supposed to go straight and you're thrown off, right? You know, you're still headed home. You know, it's just going to take a little bit longer to get there, but you got to go right and you got to go left and they follow the cones out and around and through a different neighborhood maybe, and you eventually end up back home. So you were headed the right, to, you were headed the, to the same destination the whole time. But an obstacle is a detour in the right direction, meaning it's taking you home either way. It just might be a little bit longer. So if you're taking a little bit longer road, there's a thought for you to, to, to hang on to this week and to give you a little bit of hope. So I love that thought. And kudos to my wife for, for bringing that, to, uh, telling me that and helping me understand that it has to do with mindset, it doesn't have to do with whether or not it's true. Weekly training. So here we go. We're going into our training this week. We are going to talk about the difference between universal life, UL, and indexed universal life, IUL. Now I'm going to tell you the way that I describe it to my clients. So you can use this as you're in on your appointments and this comes up, then here's a little bit of, of knowledge for you to be able to use. Now, I don't go seeking out universal life or index, especially if you're new. I don't recommend you go and present these proactively to your client because they're a little more complicated. And if they're not done right or done well, they can blow up down the road. And you've probably heard some policies that didn't sustain themselves. And over time, they were being underfunded. I'm going to explain why and what happens. They can blow up. They'll, I call it blow up. They'll lapse. And then all of a sudden you need a lot of money to correct it. And it's because it's underfunded. People don't have that much money. So the policy goes away. Okay? That can happen if you're not careful. So first, let's get to the base, the basics, the bottom of it right here. Difference between the IUL and the UL is the I. <laughs> By that, I mean, you've got universal life and you've got indexed universal life, a universal life, okay? based on the interest rate that the carrier sets. So if it's through GPM, they have a great universal life product. Foresters does. The carrier sets an, uh, an interest rate based on the dividends, which come from the profits of the company. So at the end of the year, they take out all their expenses, all their costs. They pay their employees. They do their thing. 
And whatever's left, they divide it up and they hand out or they distribute dividends to all the policyholders. Okay. So that's going to be based on an interest rate. And there's all kinds of formulas that dictate that. The carriers are trying to get a higher interest rate because it makes more of an attractive product for the salespeople to go do their job. So they're not trying to back off that interest rate. They want to get it as high as they can, but they have to make sure that they have their formulas that they have to satisfy. So they dictate the interest rate. On an indexed universal life product, that index or that, I'm sorry, interest rate is derived from the market, from a market index like an S&P 500 or a Barclays or whatever. There's several that you can you can allocate the funds kind of like you do in an investment, although life insurance, as we know, is not an investment. But this, if there was something that kind of acts like an investment, it would be like an, it would be an IUL, the closest thing. And that's why people use IULs quite often to build up a tax-free retirement vehicle. Okay. And it can be done that way. I'm not going to go into it here, but it can be done to provide income during your retirement years on a tax-free basis if you're careful and you know how to, how to do it. But that interest rate is dictated by the performance of an index. An index is a group of companies altogether, like the S&P 500 is a group of 500, the top companies and how they perform and they take the averages. So it's a very safe way to invest your money. Okay. The key is safety. Safety is what insurance is all about. Life insurance, anything life insurance, it's safe money over here. That's always our strategy, safe money. So when you have an index universal life, it can potentially perform a lot higher than a universal life because an average interest on a universal life is going to be maybe three to 5%, depending on how well the company does. An index can perform at eight or 10%. We have an indexed universal life product that goes up to 12% on the cap. They put a cap there. So you can potentially get a lot more money. The downside of an indexed universal life is the, is the guarantee. Okay. Two, two downsides, really. The guarantee is the first one. Guarantee is zero. So a lot of agents position that as that's a good thing because you don't lose your money, which is true. Okay. But in a universal life, a lot of times they'll have a 1% or 2% guarantee. So at least you get some growth. But what the universal does is they take the high and the low and they just kind of push them in together. So you have some guarantee on this side, but you have a much lower ceiling on this side. Whereas an indexed universal life, zero guarantee over here. I mean, 0%, but potentially a lot more on this side because your potential upside could be 8, 9, 10, 12%. Okay. Now that's all speculation. You have to know this about an IUL. It could be that the market crashes and your, your policy doesn't perform well. Very, very possible scenario. Um, not likely because the market index usually historically goes up and down and they factor that into the illustrations. We try and be as conservative as we can on the illustrations. However, there's risk in those because you're, you're forfeiting the guarantees the zero is a guarantee. You're not getting, you, there's a chance you could get no growth at all. Okay. But the second downside of an IUL or an, or a universal life, both of these is that there's a surrender fee inside. I guess there's a third. The third is that the costs of insurance go up over time, but that's, that's true with most policies anyways. But 
the the surrender schedule. And this is important to let clients know about. These are long-term plans. If you have a client that wants an indexed universal life, okay, first of all, they need to be funding it adequately. They need to overfund it. I use $10 per decade or $100 per decade. So if you're in your 20s, $200 at least, 30s, 300, 40s, 400, and, and so forth. At least, because just as a general rule of thumb, that didn't come from anywhere. It's just my, been my observation. If you're 50 and you're funding your, your IUL at $120 a month, you might as well get a term policy. It's not going to last. It's not going to be enough to sustain it. An IUL has to be well-funded. Okay, It's not for somebody scrimping and saving and on a really tight budget. It's also not for somebody that's going to keep it for 10 years, and, and, and that's it. I say at least 15, 20 is better, and beyond is even better. So these work really well for younger kids where they have 30 or 40 years to put into it, and they can put you know consistently a couple hundred bucks. They're funding their 401k. They're funding their IUL. And the 401k serves a certain purpose. The IUL serves another purpose. We can get into more of that later. But just know when you're talking about universal life and you're talking about index universal life, there is a difference. Universal is usually not built for retirement. It's built for, you can have, it's a great place to store funds, um, like in emergency funds. Um, it's a great alternative to a term where you can't qualify. So you can make the base on a universal life 25,000 minimum, for example, and you can add the rest in term and you can take a GPM product, for example, and they can use medical records to get them qualified at a great rate, huge term rider, small base. It's a universal life. We don't care about the cash value. We're, we're designing it to act like a term policy. You can minimum fund that and look at the guarantees and see if it goes 10, 15, 20 years. And basically you're taking a UL and you're making it a term term policy. So you can design a universal life to act like term. You can also design it by overfunding it to act like whole life. Now in our industry, we call universal life permanent insurance. I think it's not entirely the way that we should do it. I don't know that because permanent suggests that it's going to be there the rest of your life. In my opinion, that's whole life. There's nothing else that does that, but, but whole life indexed and universal are not guaranteed to go the rest of your life. They can, and you can design them that way, but you don't know how an illustration is going to perform. So there's those unknowns, and those are the things you have to talk about with your client. So there's no surprises, okay? This may or may not be the right product for your client. Okay, with the rising costs in the insurance, inside the insurance policy, it's gonna get more and more of your premium is going to be just covering those rising costs, which means less and less of your premium goes to fund the cash value. So you'll see some of these where the cash value goes up and up, kind of plateaus, and then it starts going back down like that. And the reason for that is because the rising cost of insurance is, is eating more and more of the premium, so less and less of it is going to the cash value. And eventually that starts eating itself alive yeah, I know it's a pretty morbid thought, but it starts eating itself alive because when it can't make the costs of insurance from the premium, it pulls the costs of insurance payment from the cash value inside the life insurance policy. When the cash value starts depleting to where it hits zero, there's nothing left to cover the cost of insurance. So the whole policy goes bankrupt. Okay. And I can, I've seen people on track for that to happen. So when you have a universal life or an IUL, you need to make sure that number one, they're adequately funding it. 
Okay, I always use the guideline premium in Foresters. I or I'm sorry, in GPM. Foresters, I'm using the smart solve. They're more expensive. And if the client says, no, that's too much, I'm not going to scramble and try and do a minimum payment just to make a sale because I'm doing a disservice to the client. Because in 10 years or 15 years when the policy explodes, I'm the one they're going to be calling, not somebody else. So I'm not going to trade that conversation for a commission today. It's not worth my integrity. So I will always overfund unless there's specific criteria in that situation that warrants everybody being okay with underfunding it. Because we, and the, the only situation I can think of is we only need it for a term, but I can't qualify for the non-medical term. So we're going to do a UL and design it like a term. I've had a few situations like that where it's worked out great, but the client needs to understand what's going on. Universal life and index universal life are flexible. You can put in a higher premium or a smaller amount. Um, there's a minimum and a maximum, a big range where you can fund it on the, on, you know, towards the max or towards the minimum. And that makes all the difference. So over time, if you're underfunding it, you have to make up the difference by increasing your premium. And that only comes from watching that policy and doing reviews. So this is probably my last point, hopefully. I don't know, maybe I'll think of more. But in a, in a universal or index universal, you have to watch and review that, I would say every year, every two years to make sure you're on track. Because if it's underfunding and it's headed for the, the bridge where the railroad is, is, uh, is gone and you're gonna fall off the cliff, if it we're headed toward that, we wanna know early on where we can adjust the premium by 20, 30, 40 bucks and make up a huge difference in 10 years, then wait 10 years. And now you've got two, three, four thousand dollars to make up the difference to really get that policy back on track. Does that make sense? So I hope this helps. Universal life, index universal life. If you're brand new, these are not your friends. Do not start them. Start with them. Don't try and explain them. I'm just letting you know if you come across one, if one comes to you, there's a little bit of knowledge for you to understand the difference, okay? Your best thing is to get uh, on somebody's calendar, your manager, myself, or somebody else, let us run the appointment for you. They can be great policies, but there's a lot of moving parts, and we certainly don't want a bad fit between the way an IUL is designed and the client's expectations. So I hope that helps. There's a difference in my uh, 10, 15 minutes or less on the difference between the two. Great products, not for everybody. Watch some of those things inside, the costs of insurance, the fee schedule, and the guarantees to make sure that the client understands what they're getting. And as long as it fits and it works for them, then boom, you might have another, another sale. But um, there are a lot of other products out there that could also do a lot of what it's trying to do, including and I'll save this for another time, but Debt Elimination, the uh, infinite banking whole life is also a great product and I uh, love talking about that. Um, anyways, thank you for listening. I hope this has been helpful and I will talk to you next week. Bye.